0: Turn to Colossians chapter four this morning. Colossians chapter four. If you need a Bible, there are some hardback black ones there in the chairs around you. Feel free to grab one of those and use that as we work through God's Word today. Uh, if you're online, welcome. We're glad you're here, and uh, thanks for tuning in. Grab your Bibles as well. So we're going to Colossians chapter four, verses two through six this morning is where we're going to land. And we've been um, started a new theme and a new sermon series this uh, this fall called Firm Foundation. And we've been looking at how to make Christ and His Word the firm foundation of our lives and our families and and just everything that we have, including our church. And so we've been walking through uh, the four pillars of Harvest Church and how those are founded on God's Word and on the person of Jesus Christ. And today we want to hit the third one, which is going to be unafraid witness. And Paul's going to address that here in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Um, so, my first ever mission trip was to Mexico City uh, when I was in the seventh grade. And uh, I, it was me and a whole bunch of other you know, teenagers, large group of teenagers that we were being sent to Mexico City to show the love of Jesus, uh, to some orphans there in an orphanage that we were serving in, and to some lost people there on the streets as we were ministering in that area, and, um, and it, was, it was truly a transformative week for me. Um, because it was the first time I'd done overseas missions, but also I got to see God move in the lives of these people, really the least of these, and just to see their hunger uh, for the gospel, their openness to Christ um, was just really, really mind-blowing for me. And I was, in, that, in that five days we were there, I think I was able to share the gospel and give to others and pray with others and serve others more than I had in my entire life before that. But that, that week didn't just happen in happenstance. Like that, it wasn't just something we stumbled into. Um, I remember I was so moved at one point. We were at the orphanage. Let's just kind of give you a little snippet if you know 12-year-old boys. I was so moved at this orphanage. I was talking with this one kid all week, loving on him, sharing the gospel with him. At the end of the week, I gave him my most prized possession, my Chicago Bulls hat. It was a big deal. Right, and and that's how much God used that week to just kind of wreck me and wreck my heart over the gospel and over seeing Him move in the lives of these people. But again, it wasn't by happenstance. It was the result of weeks and weeks and weeks of prayer and preparation and just intentionally pursuing the mission of God in this place and for this people. And it it required us to experience. Um, the movement of the gospel and the movement of God's mission in our own hearts, and then to go out and share that with others in this particular context. And the same thing applies for us here, right now, Harvest Church in St. Louis 2022. If we're going to live lives that are sent out with the gospel to those around us, to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family, we have to have some intentionality about us. We have to be working in this to actively seek him and actively listen to him and follow him out on this mission. Jesus said to his disciples in Luke 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Our Jesus was very clear, like God sent me to earth for a mission and now I'm handing that off to you and I'm sending you. You should be living lives that are sent for Jesus Christ with the mission that he's given us. But I think if we were to be honest with ourselves in this moment, a lot of us, we don't see a whole lot of fruit of that mission on a daily or weekly basis in our lives. We, we don't see that movement. We don't see regular gospel progress as a result of how we're living sent for Christ. And so I'm hoping that today Paul's words to us might stir our hearts once again for this mission that we've been given to live sent. And we're going to see three things in this passage that Paul presses on us about living sent. And that's this, we must be dependent, prepared, and intentional to live sent for Christ. We must be dependent, prepared, and intentional to live sent for Christ. So with that, let's go ahead and look at these verses. I'm going to start in verse 2. You can follow along there in Colossians chapter 4. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person the first thing that paul addresses here is that we need to be dependent point number one be dependent pray for open doors for the gospel you know unafraid witnesses we talk about this pillar we have to remember this from the from the outset that witness is always a partnership between us and god it's never something that we do on our own. It's always us working together with the Lord, and therefore it always needs to start with prayer. We don't just go out and start sharing the gospel. It starts with us praying that God would move, that God would go before us, that God would prepare hearts to receive the gospel that he wants us to share with them. There's a famous uh, you know, Puritan theologian writer, named John Bunyan, and he said this one time. He said, you can can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Right? There's a whole lot of stuff we can do, but if we're not praying first, if we're not getting God with us in that movement to start with, it's not going to go anywhere. And that is so applicable here with witnessing. And so that's why Paul starts this passage here, when he's really talking about witnessing, he starts with prayer. And he gives us here five things of how to pray for an unafraid witness. How should we as believers be praying to God that he would use us to witness the gospel to others? Five things Paul says here in this passage. Look at the first one. Number one, steadfastly. He says continue steadfastly in prayer. Pray continuously with patience. Don't give up. Never ceasing. Trusting that God's timing and God's purpose is perfect in getting the gospel To whoever it is he puts in your path you may be planting seed you may be watering seed but god will always be the one who brings the fruit in his perfect time so we must pray with patience steadfastly waiting on the lord and i just i just want to encourage you today i know some of you are in a place right now where you've got something in your life that you desperately want to see come to faith in jesus christ And the most important thing that you can do for that person, the most important thing you can do, is pray steadfastly for their salvation. Just incessantly running to the throne of grace, asking God to move in their life. It could be your spouse, it could be kids, it could be friends, it could be a boss, parents, neighbors. Pray steadfastly, Paul says. That's the first thing. Number two, pray watchfully. He says, be watchful as you pray. That word watchful means to be alert, to be looking. So as you're praying that God would 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 open a door for you to witness, be looking for the opportunities that he's going to give, right? Don't just pray for it to happen or pray for somebody else to do it, but pray and then look. Be alert for when God's going to open doors for you to actually share the gospel with someone. Be on the lookout for it and we don't have to force opportunities. I think sometimes we feel like we've got to like, barge our way in and force our way in to, to give someone the gospel. We don't have to do that. We have to pray steadfastly and then watch for God to open doors and us to take the opportunities that he's giving to us. Pray steadfastly. Pray watchfully. Number three, pray thankfully. He says, be watchful with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. As we pray for witnesses, we pray for the gospel, let's also pray and thank God for how the gospel has impacted us. Right? Pray thankful and grateful for Christ's work in my life. Thankful that I get to be on mission with Him. That I get to be a part of this thing that He's doing to bring more people to faith. Be thankful for the fruit that He does show us as we share the gospel faithfully. And we do see people come to Christ. When we live with a grateful heart for the gospel... Witnessing no longer is a chore, but an honor. Sometimes I think, we're just, let's just be honest this morning, sometimes it, I think we, we feel like witnessing is like this weight, this chore, this thing that we have to do. But if our hearts are truly grateful in sitting in the grace of God and the gospel and how it's changed our lives, it won't feel like a chore anymore. Because we're praying grateful for what God's done, that we get to be a part of giving that to other people See, unafraid witness is the overflow of a heart that thankfully receives the grace of God over and over and over. Man, I need it every week. We were just talking about that this week with our staff. Like, we come here Sunday to worship because I need this every week. I need God's grace again. And that keeps me grateful and thankful to Him as I share it with others. Number four, we need to pray cooperatively. Cooperatively. Notice here, Paul says, and pray also for us. (laughs) He's like, pray for yourselves, pray for that, but also pray for us. We need prayer over here too. And we need to remember that we are not in this mission alone. It's not just us that's doing it. It's not just me that's doing it. This is a team effort. This is about us coming together, locking arms together, and walking forward in the kingdom as a team. That means we pray even for others that may be outside of our church. We pray for other churches. We pray for other people who are serving in other cities and other countries because this is a team effort where we're cooperatively storming forward with the mission and with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, Paul says, pray dependently. He says, pray for us that God may open a door to declare Christ. Even though he says, by the way, I'm in prison. (laughs) Now, I want you to picture this for a second. You might not know the background here. Paul is currently writing this letter from prison because he was arrested for speaking the gospel. He's like, I'm in prison for sharing the gospel, and so pray that I can do that more. That's Paul's logic here, right? He's like, I've only got the guards and the other prisoners here. I can't go to the churches. I can't go to New City, but I'm here. And so, just pray that God would open a door here that I can keep sharing the gospel here in prison. And perhaps the greatest evangelist and the greatest church planter and apostle, perhaps of all time, is asking for prayer because he knows he can't do this witnessing thing on his own. It's not him, it's not his power, it's not his ability that gets it done, it's the Lord. And he's praying here that doors would be open. I think we can take that two ways. I think there's some spiritual doors and he's asking to be opened, right? Like open the door to the hearts of these other people in prison so I can share the gospel with them so they might receive that. But he's also praying that physical doors would open, like perhaps the cell door <laughs> that I'm behind right now, that that would open and I would be able to go back out and continue the work that God has given me to do. That I would persevere forward in the gospel despite this current wall and stumbling block. You know, I doubt any of us here have ever went to prison for sharing the gospel. But I, I think many of us have experienced some level of adversity or pushback or persecution or 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 something, some, some type of roadblock with someone or in a relationship or in a situation when it came to sharing the gospel. And I think Paul, what Paul's saying here is like even then we must pray and be dependent on God to move in that situation even when it seems like there's nothing else we can do. Even when we feel like we're stuck. Even when we feel like there's like, this thing isn't working. (laughs) All the more we need to pray dependent that God would open doors for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't give up on, on the mission. We just lean more into the mission giver and let him go before us to get it done. You know, this week, um, I was thinking through this, and I I was thinking about, you know, God has blessed our church immensely over the last five, six years, 300 services, however you want to measure it. Especially in the adoption of the church at Afton here, and this wonderful worship facility that he's given us. But honestly, one of the greatest blessings that came from that adoption was not this building. It was the addition of... A number of faithful, wonderful senior saints who have been just serving the Lord here for years before us. And getting to hear their stories and their testimonies is just such an encouragement of like, God has always been working and he always will be working and we're just the next step in the next chapter in the book. But one thing I was thinking about this week, one of the couples that was part of that group that that came in as part of the adoption were Tony and Mary Bettendorf. And they have been longtime members and leaders here at uh, this church until Tony's illness and then subsequent passing. Um, they were faithful, and they were here, and they were, doing, they were serving the Lord. But from getting to know Mary a little bit, that wasn't always their story. You see, when they first got married, and I got permission to share this, by the way, when they first got married, Mary was a Christian, but Tony was not. Tony believed in God and, and all that, but he didn't know Jesus Christ. He, he didn't have a personal relationship. He hadn't been saved by putting faith in Jesus Christ. And so, so for many years, in their early in their marriage, Mary would come to church. She would bring the kids to church. She served in the Sunday school, and she would teach and do all that kind of stuff and was faithful here every week. And she was praying over and over and over again for Tony. But he would only come on special occasions. Christmas, Easter, right? Like that was his thing. But Mary, she just kept coming and she kept steadfastly praying for her husband, waiting and depending on the Lord to open a door in his heart for the gospel. And as time went on, years and years went on, no movement. But Mary kept praying, and she kept watching. All the kids came. All the kids got saved. All the kids got baptized. Things were going. But, but he, just nothing with him. And she told me this week, I called her to get permission to share this story, and she told me a little bit more. She said, you know, Tony used to go out of town a lot on business. And he says every time he would leave, I would stand in the driveway as he was driving away. And she said, I would pray this prayer. She would say, God, protect him please don't take him before you save him. And she would pray that every time he left. And Mary prayed for Tony for 20 years. Like this. And then out of the blue, not out of the blue, but unbeknownst to her, without any notice in any way, one night at a Christmas Eve service, Tony gets up and he walks down the aisle and he receives Christ and God answered her prayer. And he had been working in Tony's heart through reading scripture and through reading the Bible and from that day on man Tony couldn't get enough. <laughs> like when I, when I talked to him for the little bit I got to know him before he passed, I man he was he was in the Bible all the time studying God's word. And it changed him and it changed his heart and it changed their lives as a family and it changed their it changed this church as he stepped in and led and served the Lord. All because one faithful wife prayed dependently on the Lord for twenty years. You see, living sent isn't just about handing out tracts. It's not just about going over on the mission field or you know finding some way to have parties at your house to try to get people in to share. Like it's not just that, it starts with steadfast, dependent hearts that are seeking the Lord and steadfastly praying that he would save the lost all around us. And so the first thing Paul tells us here is to live sent, I must depend on the Lord through prayer. To live sent, I must depend on the Lord through prayer. He carries on in verse 3. He says this. He says, Pray at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Number two, be prepared. Be prepared, he says here, to declare Christ clearly. Now, He says here, pray that I might be declared the mystery of Christ. I want to talk about that phrase for just a moment because it's kind of a strange phrase. It's not one that we use in like common vernacular today. So what's he mean when he says the mystery of Christ? Well, the mystery refers to God's plan, his kind of secret plan to save us through the coming of Jesus Christ. You see, prior to that, prior to this instance in history, All the Old Testament saints, all the Jewish people, they they knew God was going to save them. They knew Messiah was coming. They knew that somehow God was going to do this salvation, but they didn't know how. They didn't know what it looked like. There was a mystery to it. And that's what Paul is referring to here when he says the mystery of Christ. He's really just talking about the gospel. The same gospel that we believe today, the same one that Paul was preaching to the churches in this day and age, that, hey, guys... We're all sinners. I was just having a conversation with one of our young men in the lobby this morning, like, talking about, like, man, it's, sometimes it's hard to, like, just remember and acknowledge and say, yeah, that's, that's me. Yeah, I'm a sinner. That we're born with sinful hearts, and that, that, that leads us into sinful behaviors and sinful thoughts and sinful words, and, and that sin separates us from a perfect and holy God. And because of that separation, because we have rebelled against him, because we have thrown aside his word and his ways, we deserve his wrath. We deserve punishment. We deserve hell. And yet God, in his grace, in his love for us, the good news is that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth and to be born as a man, to live a perfect and sinless life, and then to go to the cross and die a sinner's death. To give that perfect life to pay for our sinful lives. And he stood in our place and he took the punishment and the wrath and the death that we deserved on the cross. And he went into the grave and three days later he rose back to life to prove that he was God and to say, All who believe, all who will repent and turn away from your sin and believe in me shall be saved. That's the mystery. That the God of the universe, the perfect and holy one, would give his own life to pay for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him once again. And so many today still don't understand that mystery of Christ. If you've been coming to Harvest for very long, hopefully you've you've noticed by now that I try to, as much as possible, include the gospel What I just shared with you. In every single sermon. Like you hear it every week. And there's a couple reasons I do that. Number one, like I said earlier, I need to hear it every week. (laughs) I need that reminder of God's grace in my life every week. And so do you. Second reason is I want to drill it into your brains. I want to say it on repeat so often that it just becomes part of your vernacular, like you could just spout it off at a moment's notice. I want you so ingrained with the truth of the gospel that it becomes second nature for you to say it out loud. And thirdly, because I never know which Sunday God will decide to reveal the mystery of Christ to someone in our church service who doesn't yet know him. Remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that those who have not yet put their faith in Jesus Christ, that they're still blind. Talked about that, right? That they're still spiritually blind, and that's why the gospel is a mystery to them. Because it's veiled. They can't see it. They can't see the truth yet. And that reality has very strong implications for how we prepare ourselves to clearly declare The gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to understand people's blindness if we're going to be able to help them see. So I want to give you five ways that people are blind to Christ. This isn't exactly in the text, but this is just something that I've learned through pastoral ministry. Like, we have to be able to see people and see where they're at in order to be able to communicate the gospel clearly to them as Paul is praying for here. So five ways people are spiritually blind. Number one, Blind to their sin. So start off, some people are just, they're just blind to their sin. And you know this person because their response to church or Christ or the gospel is, well, you know, I'm a good person. Like, I'm just a good person. Like, I don't hurt people. I don't do this. I don't do that. Like, I'm okay. I don't really need a Savior. I don't need Jesus because I'm good. My life is fine the way it is. And they feel that way because they're blind to their own sin. And how their sin is separating them from God. Second group is blind to the standard. This is somewhat similar to the first one, but it's slightly different. They're blind to the standard, and they'll say things like this. Well, I, I'm better than most people, right? Like, like I'm better than most. And so, was, you know, they have this idea that somehow God graved on a curve and so as long as you're, like, above 50%, as long as, like, there's at least a group of people that's worse than you, then God's going to be like, okay, you're good enough, you can come in. Right, that's kind of the way they, they view it. And obviously, we only compare ourselves to those who are worse than us. We're never like, well, compared to Mother Teresa, you know, like, I'm doing pretty good. Like, they're, like nobody says that. They're, they always want to compare to someone who's lower on the scale. But the problem with this is, that they're looking at the wrong standard. See, God doesn't judge on the standard of us versus you. It's not a we versus we thing here. It's It's us versus him. His perfect, holy standard, that is what we have to have. And there's no way we get that on our own. That only comes when we believe in Jesus and he gives us his perfect righteousness third group is blind to the supernatural. They'll say things like this, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just a rational person, right? I, I believe in logic and reason and tangible evidence, and I need to see it to believe it, right? You need to prove to me that it's real with something tangible. And thinking this way, they reduce our existence in this life to only the natural. That we are only made up of natural elements and and what happens on the earth. There is no greater being. There is no greater purpose. There is no greater meaning to life. It's just this. Because they're blind to the supernatural God that created all of this and his purpose in it. Number four, they're blind to the singularity fourth group is blind to the singularity. They'll say things like this. Well, I, I, I want to be an accepting person. Right? Like I, I just want to be good with everybody. Uh, we, we can't you know, tell people that they're wrong or that, that, that there's only one way. You can't say there's only one way to God. or There's only one God to worship. Everyone's free to choose their own way. Everyone's free to choose their own path. Right? All religions go to the same God. All spirituality gets to the same God. These people believe that there is no such thing as absolute truth. That we can all figure out our own path. But the problem with that is this. To say that all the religions are the same and they all go to the same place is reason and logic. Because once you line them up next to each other, they all contradict each other. And if they all contradict each other, they can't all be right. They just can't. So there has to be one. But some people, are, they're blind to the singularity of the gospel, that there is one way to get to one God, and there is one salvation. Number five, the fifth group, is they're blind to the significance. Blind to the significance of it all. And they'll say statements like this, well, I'm, just, I'm living for me right like i'm living for the moment i'm living for the now the here and now like this is all that matters is this life so we just need to make the most of it they don't believe in an afterlife or if they do they don't care about it like that's i'm not worried about that i just want to live for the here and now and enjoy myself in this life and they have no view of eternity and they have no view of the consequences of their choices on their eternity They have no comprehension of their existence beyond this short, mortal life. And because of that, they miss the significance of God. They miss the significance of Christ. Because they don't see them as valuable for anything in this life. And the reason I bring up these five types of spiritual blindness is this. Because Paul's prayer, look at his prayer in the text. It says, pray that I may make it clear. Again, one of the greatest preachers, greatest evangelists, greatest apostles of all time, wrote most of the New Testament. He's like, hey, can you pray that God would help me make it clear? I'm not sure I can do it on my own. I'm not sure I can articulate the gospel in such a way that it will actually be effective in this person's life on my own. I need the Holy Spirit to come and to help me preach it clearly. Is that because Paul didn't know the gospel? (laughs) Is that because Paul couldn't say what needed to be said? No, I think it goes back to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 through 12. He said to his disciples, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Jesus didn't mean, hey, forget about it. You don't need to know the gospel. The Holy Spirit will just give it to you. That's not what he was saying. He was saying, don't worry about how you will say it in that moment because the Holy Spirit will tell you how to make it clear to that person, to that situation. That's what Paul's praying for here. He understands he's dependent on God to give sight to the blind. And so we need to do our part. We need to know the gospel well. First of all, if I want to make it clear, if I want to be able to speak it clearly to someone else, I need to know it like the back of my hand. So I can articulate it in a way that is clear and fluent in any circumstance. That means I need to study it. I need to discuss it with other people so I know how to to do that. I need to rehearse it at times. But then I need to do this. This is the most important thing here. Then I need to listen. The gospel is not just about speaking. It's about listening. I need to listen to the person I'm trying to reach and I need to discern through the Holy Spirit what is their spiritual blindness? What is it that's keeping them from the gospel? Why is it still a mystery to them? How are they missing it? So that I can then clearly articulate the gospel in a way that speaks to that issue in their life. Growing up, I... I went, hand, I went fishing just a handful of times with my stepdad and with some friends. Um, fishing just never really caught on for me. It wasn't quite my thing. Too much patience and not enough activity. I, it's just not the way I tend to roll. And so, But I did learn one important rule when I was fishing, is that you have to have Right? Like, there's only certain fish in this spot or in this lake. You've got to have the right bait to catch the right fish. And if you don't have the right bait or the right lure, like, they'll completely ignore you. Right? They, they don't care about it or they won't even see it. They won't even know it's there because it's not what is effective for them. And so you have to have all these different types of bait depending on where you're fishing. Having the right bait on your hook can mean the difference between a very, very frustrated fisherman and a boat full of fish. Right? Remember when Jesus talked to his disciples and he said, Hey, you're done with the the nets, because now you're going to be fishers of. Good, you know. Same principle still applies. There's a reason God, there is a reason Jesus told them he used the analogy of being fishers of men. Because they knew fishing. They were pro-fishermen. And that idea translated in, like, listen you're going to be going after a new type of fish and there's going to be a different type of bait. And we have to think about this when it comes to witnessing. We have to apply the same principle. When God opens a door for us to share the gospel with someone, we need to listen to them. We need to look and to see what kind of bait or what type of presentation of the gospel is going to be most effective for them. What blindness are they suffering from? What sin do they need to be rescued out of? What what piece of their identity is broken and needs to be replaced with Christ? What hurt does their heart need healing for? You see, here's the thing. The answer to all of those questions, the answer is always the same. The answer is always Christ. But how we communicate that answer so that it speaks to the question that they're asking matters. That's how we speak Christ clearly, as Paul's talking about here. I don't want to just fire off an apologetic defense of God's sovereignty to someone who's just trapped in substance abuse and trying to figure a way out. It's not going to help them. I I don't need to expose the wickedness of sexual sin to someone who's just questioning heaven and eternity and what that looks like. That's not going to help them. I have to listen. I have to understand what are they looking for? What are they hurting? Where are they struggling? And declare Christ clearly in a way that connects that person and their struggle and their battle to the gospel. And then Paul says this. He says, pray that I may speak it clearly which is how I ought to speak. See, Paul, he felt compelled to speak the gospel. He's like, I I ought to do this. Because Christ had saved him, and he knew it. Because that was the call of a disciple, was to continue to make more disciples, because that was... Because for every single listener that Paul came in contact with, he knew that this was an issue of life and death for that person. Now remember, when Paul is writing this, he's in prison for specifically speaking the gospel. Right? If I was in Paul's shoes, I'm just going to be honest this morning, it would be really easy to give up at this point. Right? Like, okay, I've done my duty. I I did the gospel thing. I shared it. It got me here. So now it's my turn to take a break, right? Like surely um, we can kind of let things cool down a little bit before we go back back in for the gospel thing. Or maybe I've suffered enough. It's somebody else's turn now, God, to take the mantle and keep going. But that was not Paul. That was not his heart. He said, no, no, I still have to speak the gospel. I ought to speak it. Paul understood that, the gospel was worth every sacrifice. It was worth every cost. Because it was of eternal importance. And notice he says, "It's which is how I ought to speak. Not how I ought to live. Not how I ought to model. Not how I ought to act or behave. See, when it comes to the gospel, unafraid witness means to speak. It means to speak up and actually tell others about Jesus Christ. It's not enough to just stand our ground as a Christian. It's not enough to just live a good life in front of other people. It's not enough to just be an example to others. Your Christian life, your Christian example, without a Christian voice, never saves anyone. The reason we live for Christ is because our Christian life becomes a platform so that we're able to speak and other people will actually listen. Because they do see that you're different. They do see that something's changed in you. They do see that that you have something that they don't have, and that's great. But if you don't tell them what it is, it's not going to help them. Paul's saying there is no such thing as an incognito Christian we must be prepared to speak. So to live sent, I must be prepared to clearly speak the gospel through the Spirit. In order to live sent for Jesus, I must be prepared to clearly speak the gospel through the Holy Spirit as he guides and directs me on what to say. So be dependent be prepared. And then lastly, look at verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Number three, be intentional. Be intentional and walk in wisdom toward outsiders. That's what Paul says in verse 5. He says, walk in wisdom Outsiders. In other words, don't be ignorant of the world. Right? Don't, don't be naive to what's going on around you. Don't close yourself off from the people that you're supposed to be trying to reach. Right? Know how to interact with a lost world. Know how to interact with lost people in a way that gives you an opportunity to share the gospel. As Christians, we need to have good people skills. Right? We just do. It's about relationships, and we need to walk toward them, not away from them. Sometimes Christians are so busy trying to walk away from lost people that it's impossible for them to ever share the gospel. Paul says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. We don't isolate ourselves from those that we're trying to reach, and then he says also making the best use of the time. Time is the most valuable commodity that we have. Time. You never get more of it. You can't make more of it. You can't earn more of it. We have a set amount. And Paul says, don't waste it. There should be an urgency inside of us for the sake of the gospel. That I want to use every ounce of time that I have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to make disciples. Stop seeing around. Stop waiting to engage. Stop waiting to speak up. And take the moment that God has given you. In James chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Man, some of us have, we have some big plans for tomorrow. We have some big plans for next week. We have some big plans for next year. But none of us knows what tomorrow will bring. He said, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Time is short. Your life is like a vapor. Paul says, don't wait. Don't waste it. This says, making the best use of the time, let your speech be gracious. That word gracious just means full of God's Grace that the the content and the delivery of your message should always be full of the grace of God that you've experienced. Listen, I know, I know, the gospel message is offensive, right? Tell somebody you're a sinner, you're going to hell, you need, like, that is offensive. The gospel message is offensive. But gospel messengers should not be. We should not be the offensive ones. We should be the gracious ones as we bring the gospel to those who need it. Now, it doesn't mean that grace doesn't include truth, right? If, if there's not truth in it, if we don't tell them about their sin, then there's no need for grace, right? If you, have, if, there's, if you don't have a problem, you don't need help. So there's truth in the grace, but it still comes gracious. It comes as we communicate with love and the same graciousness that Jesus used to woo us to himself. I love Romans 2.4. It is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's his graciousness towards us as we're stuck in our sin. He says, let your speech be gracious and seasoned with salt. Now, I thought I knew what that meant when I started studying this this week, and I was wrong. I had to do a little research on this. Seasoned with salt is actually a Greek idiom of that day. It's like a a saying in that day, and it means this. It describes someone that was desirable to talk to, someone who their speech is attractive to others, like you want to engage with this person, right? This person is engaging. They're they're humorous, and they're fun to talk to. They're, They're empathetic, and they listen to what other people have to say. They're reciprocal, right? It's not just you telling me, but I'm willing to share stuff with you as well. They're not overbearing and pushy. They're not boring. That's one of the worst things you can do as a Christian is make the gospel boring. (laughs) They're not boring. They're not rude. They're not irrelevant in the way that they speak. Their speech is seasoned with salt. It's attractive and desirable is what that means. So it says, be gracious, seasoned with salt. And then he says this, he ends with this, that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Each person. Friends, we have to remember, each person that we talk to is a potential Christian. Every single person you talk to is a potential Christian, if they're not already. Every single person we talk to has a unique story and a unique perspective and a unique issue that they're dealing with that we need to listen to. Each person is deeply loved by God and in need of His grace. And those three realities should impact how we ought to answer and speak to those that God puts in our path. But again, knowing how to speak is not just a mental exercise, it's not just a script that we memorize on how to get someone saved. It's knowing the gospel and then being dependent on the Holy Spirit to speak to us so that we can speak to others in a way that God can use to open their eyes to the mystery of Christ. It's living intentional. It's walking with an intentionality that I am going to look for opportunities and be led by the Holy Spirit and open my mouth to speak the truth of the gospel to others. To live sent, I must intentionally walk with unbelievers to lead them to Christ. I want to show you a a short film here on how to, what it looks like to live intentionally for Christ as we go about our day and our week, and then I'll come back and I'll close us out at the end of this. Let's go ahead and roll that. God, could you thank the Lord this morning, everyone? Be seated, everybody. Church, it's been a great morning together. And just as we have gathered, so now we get to scatter. And so we send you back into the sphere in which God has placed you. And it's not just a job or a role or an environment, but it's into a ministry. And so church family, you are not dismissed from this service, but you are sent into your week. Have a great week. This morning Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I'm late. Uh, I couldn't find uh, my Please take a seat. Army, I'm sorry, what? Take a seat. Fine. I'm probably gonna take my walk here in a bit. Just wanted to check on you. See if you needed anything. No, I think we're good. Thanks, though. Okay. I thought I'd just check and see if I could do anything for you. Thanks, Dad. We're really doing well actually. Are you all right? Oh, my be a new feature. The older models don't do that. Can I help you? Mallory and you're new yeah I made this for you I'm James I used to cry in the bathroom back when I first started. Clothes is an interesting choice, though. I'm Alicia. Janie, you need a coffee. Uh-huh. Going down. Oh, me off, too. But huh? then the car broke down. I met the super nice guy. we must be dependent, prepared, and intentional to live sent for Christ. Dependent in prayer, can't do this on our own. Prepared with the gospel, that we know how to clearly speak, and intentional with our daily lives to live sent with the love of Christ and lead the lost back to him. Bow your head with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for sending Jesus to save us, to call us back to you. God, thank you that that your son was sent for us. And we know, Lord, as a result, that you've called us to live sent for you, for your kingdom. But God, we confess today, we need your help. Lord, we are completely and utterly dependent upon you. Lord, prepare our hearts today to depend on you. Prepare our minds to communicate your gospel and your truth. Prepare our lives, Lord, to be a bridge between you and those who don't know you. We love you, and we want to live sent for you every day. Every moment. Lord, help us. Let's pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. You are loved. You are sent.